Acts chapter 2, I've preached on this probably several times over the years. And um, so the last few months we've talked about prayer, we've talked about passing our faith on to the next generation. That was two weeks ago, Um, a lot of comments on that message. Um, Today, after the service, we're going to have the meal, our annual vision meeting. All right. So it used to be that organizations would have a 10-year plan. And then they would have a five-year plan and even a one-year plan, okay? Planning way out there. But what some of the lead pastors in our nation of some of the largest churches in our nation will tell you is that they've tossed the 10-year plan and the five-year plan out the window. Why? Because our culture is moving so fast today that you can plan as much as you want out in advance. Things are just changing so fast. Um, and uh, what this pastor said is that he's adopted the, the posture to be prepared for the next thing, the next opportunity that God brings your way, to be prepared for that. And so uh, what does that mean? That maybe means having money in the bank so you can move quickly to buy land or being having in mind, okay, uh, of what I need for the right hire or um, maybe money to invest in a new ministry, being prepared, having people in place, having funds in place, things like that. Um, so I don't know if you've ever had the right opportunity come your way and you weren't able to take advantage of it because maybe you didn't have the money saved. You ever had that, right? You saw the car that you wanted, exactly what you wanted, but all of a sudden it, you weren't able to act fast enough and it was gone. I, I think that's where we are entering into a season with the church. We have to be ready for the things that happen that God brings our way. So I'm going to talk more about that in the annual meeting part, the vision meeting. This morning I want to talk about five things, five areas of focus for 2024. So we're already almost two months into 2024, but five things to focus in, uh, principles, and they come from Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. I feel like they are the, the bedrock, the foundation of a healthy church and of a growing church. All right? So... Uh, Let's pray and look at that together. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would take it and apply it to our hearts in these moments we have. We give you the thanks and we give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. So this is the day of Pentecost has happened. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says his farewell to the disciples and he just ascends into the heaven. What, what a great exit, right? Just kind of, you know, just kind of goes through the clouds and um, they seem ascend, but that caused some issues, right? Their leader was going into the heavens and leaving them. So we'll talk more about that. And then Acts chapter 2, God pours out his Holy Spirit. Um, 3,000 are saved on that day. And then we see what happens in the days that follow. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So that includes kind of what we did here and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared everything, right? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. We know Barnabas would do that specifically. Um, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. So that included having a meal together, but part of that meal included uh, what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. 
Um, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number, how often? Daily. Daily. Those being saved. That's cool. That is very cool. So five things. First one, the first area of focus is discipleship. So these, these principles aren't like earth-shattering or something new. They are God's Word. And sometimes we need to just focus in on the basics and really drill down on that, right? If you, don't, if you can't do the basics, why, don't even worry about anything else, right? The first one is discipleship. So discipleship can take many different forms. It can involve teaching. And sometimes that's all we sometimes see discipleship as, a Sunday school class or a small group. That is part of discipleship, okay? But discipleship also comes from observing and participating. Jesus' disciples just weren't in the classroom. They were out with him. They slept with him. They ate with him. They, they were everywhere that Jesus went, right? right? Wherever Jesus went, they were there participating with him. Sometimes they had good days. Some days they messed up, right? And he would say, oh, you of little faith, right? Boy, that really felt good, right? If you were the disciples. Discipleship is teaching, but it's also learning from other people that have gone before us in those areas. In the book of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven, right? At chapter 1. One would think that the hope of the church, of be, that being started in Jerusalem, just faded as he went like that. It's kind of like, there went the hopes of anything good happening because their master, their leader, has just gone into heaven. But is that what happened? No. God pours out His Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. The disciples are there. They participate in that. 3,000 are saved that first day. And then we we get a next report that 5,000 are now part of the church in Jerusalem. And then it just says that it keeps growing. And And then it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We see just in the book of Acts alone. Why did all that happen? Because Jesus invested three years of His life teaching 12 men. He taught them. He dialogued with them. He did ministry with them. He helped them with ministry. He even tested their faith. Put them out in a boat by themselves and He stayed on shore while they went through a storm. And He just didn't come and get them when the waves came up. He just let them sit there and and struggle for a while before He came and walked out to them. Isn't Isn't that nice of Jesus? They were stressed. They thought their lives were done for. So sometimes if God is letting you struggle a little bit, He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't lost sight of you. But He maybe is trying to stretch your faith and cause you to grow. And in those moments, they grew. They grew to the place that when Jesus left and He pulls out of the Spirit, the church grows. And guess what? These men stepped forward. Now there wasn't 12, there was only 11 because one betrayed Him, right? But these men began to lead the church. Jesus entrusted it to them. Fishermen, tax collectors. Hey, these guys were not the brightest. They weren't the best trained. They weren't the most spiritual. And I hear that a lot. Oh, I'm not spiritual, Pastor. You know what? The disciples were not very spiritual from what we can tell. Matthew helped himself to what came in and in the taxes, okay? He was a thief. And God used him. And God used rough fishermen. They became men of God. 
that could lead the church and then they discipled other people. What does discipleship look like for Radiant Springs Church? It involves Sunday morning services. So this is a good time. We fellowship. But small groups are even better because then you can dialogue and talk. Over my head. There. All right. There we are. So... It involves small groups as well, because then you can say, you know what, it just went over my head, Pastor. So that's what they'll ask me like on Monday nights or when I am in a small group. And then we can discuss it and we can talk about it, right? Um, I've had that happen a few times on Sunday, but usually <laughs> Sundays you take notes and they talk to me afterwards and say, hey, what did you, just, what did, what did you mean by that? So um, it involves small groups. It involves the leadership cadre, which I have on Monday nights. Um, that is all part of discipleship at our church, right? It's more than taking a, a class. John McEnroe, remember him? Tennis player, still alive, I think. He says, the important thing is to learn a lesson every time you lose. Or you could probably put every time you fail, right? I mean, failure, we are so scared of failure in our culture. But, hey, every time you fail, at least learn a lesson from it, right? You're going to be better for it, Right? Um, and the disciples surely failed, but they became uh, men and women of God. And there was lady disciples there. They were just on the fringe there. Um, there were other men and women that weren't part of the 12 that were considered also disciples. So my question is, how many years have you been walking with God? And have you been faithful with what he's entrusted you? Not in this church, but I've been in churches where people have been to the Sunday morning service, Sunday school classes, they've been all that, they know the Bible from front to back, but they've done nothing with it in regards to ministry. They've never led anybody to Christ. They've never told anybody what Christ has done in their life. They're not really helping out in the church. That is not a picture of what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning the things of God and learning how to do ministry, but then also passing that on to the next person. Just as we got a lot of families here today, right? The goal for you as a parent is to pass on knowledge and skills so that when they get to maturity, right, 18 or whatever that is, that they can go out there, have their own family, and teach the next generation after them, right? You don't want them staying and living at home with you when you're 60, 80 years old, right? Now we hear stories of that. That is not the way it's intended to be, right? They're intended to uh, prepare them, and they leave the nest, and they do what God's called them to do. Um, uh, I'm going to pick on Gary Boyer. He's back there. But, you know, Gary, uh, he's been part of the church a long time. Um, but this past week, he did, he did a funeral service. And, you know, Gary's been a state trooper. Uh, he's worked at the... Uh, Marshall's office in Lincoln. He's done security. Um, but he also has a very strong pastoral gift, right? And um, he's been utilizing that. And so he actually did a funeral this past week for somebody that used to attend this church and had moved away. Um, he's growing in that. And so I just, um, that is something very cool. Amen. Number two, a second area of focus is fellowship. Now, often in our English culture, we'll think as fellowship as having a meal together, right? Okay, that's fellowship. But it goes much deeper than that in the biblical term, the Greek word. 
So I'm not going to throw a lot of Greek at you, but I'll throw this one at you. It's koinonia, okay? Koinonia is the Greek word. It means partnership. It means fellowship, participation, sharing together. To me, the word camaraderie also comes with it. Um, that idea that we're all working together to accomplish a common goal, all right? We have investment in it. It's not only, you know, when I think of investment, it's not just money. It is time. It is commitment that I'm linking arms with another group of people that are headed in the same direction and we're accomplishing good things together. Paul would use koinonia a lot. And um, one of the books, he uses it a lot in the book of Philippians. And so that was a church he would start on his second missionary journey. And he would refer to them that they had partnered with him in the gospel. So even after he left Philippi, he would go to other places and start churches, and the church in Philippi would pray for him. They would help him out with financial support. And even when he was in prison for the gospel, they went there and took care of him. They made sure he had clothes and food and prayed for him. A lot of people deserted Paul in that time. They didn't want to be associated with somebody in prison, but they went and took care of his needs. They understood that idea of what koinonia is, that partnership and fellowship. I believe that if anything good is going to happen in not only our church, but the church as a whole, there has to be that idea of fellowship, that partnership, that koinonia, that we're joining together to accomplish a common goal. Amen? At Radiant Springs Church is to lead, love, and connect people to a life-changing relationship with Christ. Just in case you had any doubt. All right. Number three, an area of focus is prayer. They met together and they prayed, right? And you'll see that in Acts, often they would go daily to the temple and they would pray. Um, prayer was part of their life. Um, and there is, really is no human ex explanation as to why the church grew in Jerusalem. They were threatened. They were told to speak no more in the name of Jesus. They didn't have a lot of money in the bank. I didn't get that impression as you read through that. They had little influence, and yet their lives changed. Um, they changed their community. They changed their world, and the church grew. I would argue that nothing good happens without prayer preparing the way. Proverbs 16.1, I was reading this in my devotional time this week, says, To human beings belong the plans of the heart. And some of you are planners, right? How many, raise your hand if you're a planner. You're a planner. All right. Yeah. To human beings belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes a proper answer. In other words, the Lord has the final say. So we can make all the plans that we want, but God has the final say. That doesn't mean he's going to say no. He may say yes. But it's just understanding that we can make plans, but we have to make our plans in line with him because ultimately God does have the final say, right? You go down a couple verses to verse 3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Another translation will say, he will make your plans succeed. And I like that word commit. If you go to the, it's the, it's just a very literal translation of the Hebrew. It says, roll onto Jehovah your way and your plans. Imagine this big rock, boulder, and you roll it off of your shoulders and you place it on God's. You know, we just love carrying those big boulders around, don't we? We just kind of, oh, all right. None of you would be like that, right? 
the weight of the world you're carrying it around and you're just this warrior for Jesus, right? Right? And you're all weighed down, you're all stressed out, you're all tired. And Jesus says, commit, roll onto him the plans, the stress, the cares of this world. And he will establish your plans. He'll give you success. Amen? Prayer is important as we commit to him. So I see uh, Vanessa and Jose. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Everybody, raise your hand, Jose. Raise your hand. There he is. So last Sunday, we pull up here a little after 8 o'clock, and there's this red car there. And Amy says, oh, I wonder whose car that is. And I should have known whose car it was because um, it's their daughter, Valentina, that was up here singing. They help with cleaning the church. And so the car was there, but nobody was in the church. And so we came in and got things going. And I went outside, and I, I, I see somebody running along Highway 33. And he waves, he waves at me, you know, and he has his hair up in a bun. And, and then I realized, it's Jose. And then Vanessa was with him, too. And then all of a sudden, they, they came back to the church. And um, so I happened to be outside, and we talked just briefly. And what I gathered is that, they had been at the church at 6 o'clock to pray here. So I don't know if you realize there are several in the Hispanic congregation that come at 6 a.m. to pray here each Sunday morning. And so they came and they prayed. At 7 o'clock, then they went for a jog, right? And they got back here a little after 8 o'clock, and then they went and got cleaned up and came back to church. Uh, and I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Prayer, nothing good, I believe, happens unless we pray. And um, I know Victor, Pastor Victor and Yolanda, they're in Costa Rica. They, they'll probably be back here in March or April. But they prayed. They prayed for so long. And uh, th there was times that it was 12, 15 people on a Sunday morning for the Hispanic congregation. And now that's more than doubled. It's almost tripled. Um, and we just give God praise and glory. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Fourth area of focus, Generosity. You know, I don't get the impression the church was wealthy. I mentioned that a few people such as Barnabas had some land, but he went and sold it, and he gave it to the church so they could take care of widows and those in need. Um, we do know that the Jewish population, but also the early church, took this very seriously, that if there was qualifying widows, so they had to be of a certain age, and they had to have lived a godly life and things. And often Jewish widows would come to Jerusalem because there was a system in place. There wasn't welfare, okay? Uh, there wasn't some of the things that we take for granted in our country. If your husband died and he was the provider for your family, you had no income unless you had family. And so many times they would come to Jerusalem because they knew that they would be taken care of there. And so the church also took care of that, and they would provide for the needs that were there. And so Barnabas, he, uh, he donated his money. It was more than a tithe. You know, tithe is a 10%. We see that in Scripture, right? Um, but we get the impression he, t he sold the land and he just gave it all, right? Don't be an Ananias and Sapphira, though, okay? Yeah, we gave it all. Yeah, we not, right? That, wasn't, that didn't end well for them, okay? If you want to go in there and read that, it didn't end well, okay? Just be honest. God doesn't say we have to give it all. I think tithing is a good place to begin, but the New Testament pattern is generosity. Um, I think, and you can use that term sacrificial, that they gave sacrificially. This is what Proverbs says in 11. I'm going to probably talk a little more about this next week. 
all makes sense? C-E-N-T-S, okay. All right, um, just from Proverbs. But this is what Proverbs 11, 24, 25 says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Does that make human sense? One person gives freely, generously, but they gain even more. Another withholds unduly. They, they're the Scrooge, and they come to poverty. Isn't that weird? That doesn't make human sense, does it? But I believe it is biblically true, and I, I see it happen in lives. When people are generous, not only to God, but it, just generous in general to people around them, it seems like that generosity continues to flow. And I think because God says, you know what, I can entrust them, and I know that it's going to get to other people. They're just not going to keep it to themselves. God hasn't called us to be a reservoir. He's called us to be a river, right, that is taking life and God's kindness to the world around us. One of the reasons that the early church would thrive is because they had a spirit of generosity. They, they, they shared everything they had in common. I don't think I've ever seen that. I read, I read it in Acts. I don't think I've ever seen it in person where that's happened. I've heard stories, um, but I've never seen that generosity quite at that level. We do know from the early church that they took giving and helping out to the needs around them so seriously that they would fast one or two, three meals a week. The money that they would save, they would then give to help out the needs of others. Isn't that taking generosity a little more? That's, that's a little bit on steroids, isn't it? All right, last area of focus, evangelism. Evangelism, what is that? It is sharing your faith with somebody that doesn't know Christ. Um, And when we look at the book of Acts, it, it seems that it came, their growth came through the ministry of the apostles, preaching, teaching, the miracles that took place, people inviting people. Um, the word spread of what God was doing, and so they invited, and it just it was an organic growth. It was a very natural growth that, that happened. They were baptized, and the church grew daily. In America, evangelism is at an all-time high. and <laughs> Not at an all-time high. It's at an all-time Low. In fact, some people would even think, even some Christians think, it would be inappropriate to share my faith with somebody else, right? Because there's kind of that mentality in our world today that that would be somehow that's interfering with what they believe. And I don't think you should be rude. I don't think you should force your faith upon somebody. But I think you should share your faith. Um, I am not a fan... I. When I was in Bible college, they made us go out and, and share our faith. I, I sweat bullets. I hated it. Um, and then I found out what worked for me. I'm, I'm a very relational person. I talk with people. I build relationships with people. And that's how it's worked for me. When I get to know people, I share my faith. It comes naturally. And I talk to them about Christ. I share what Christ has done in my life. I pray for them. Um, Prayed with a lady this week, um, this past week. Had some health issues. I was in a place that maybe you're not supposed to pray. But I just bobbed my head and we prayed right there. Um, I've prayed with people at Walmart. I've prayed with them on Main Street. Um, share your faith, your story with people around you. Um, you know, one of the most pe effective evangelists in the scripture that we see in the Bible 
Anybody want to take a stab at it? I don't know. I, this, I, I'm just guessing, okay? We don't even know her name. The woman at the well. I knew you'd get it. Craig got it. All right. <laughs> the woman at the well, right? Most Jews wouldn't have gone through Sychar. Jesus was headed up to the north, to Galilee, from Jerusalem. So the most direct route would be go through Samaritan territory, Sychar. But the Jewish people didn't go there because the Samaritans were mixed breed. They were Jewish and then Gentile due to invasions and things like that. And they kind of mixed up their religion a little bit. It wasn't pure religion in their sight. So instead of going through the Samaritan territory, they would actually take the longer route and walk around Samaria. They considered the Samaritans, uh, they were even as rude to call them dogs, okay? And that isn't in a good way, all right? But Jesus said, we have to go through Sychar. We have to go through Samaria. And so they go through Samaria. They get to a well. Nobody's there. The disciples are hungry. They go in and get some food. While Jesus is there by himself resting, a woman comes there to draw water, right? And that's a whole message in, its, in itself. But in that conversation, Jesus talks with her. Um, she discovers that he is the Messiah. She says, we're looking for the Messiah. And when he comes, he'll make sense of it all. And, and then she figures out it was, he was the Messiah. And she goes, I'm not married. She goes, you're right, you're not married. You have five, you've had five husbands, and the one guy you're with now isn't your husband. It's kind of like, whoa, how would you like to have that happen, right? God knows it all anyway, right? What are we trying to hide from God? He knows it all, right? God had her mail. And so she, um, that's God calling right now. Um, um, and so she comes to believe in that moment. And what does she do? She leaves the well. She goes back into her town of Sychar. She tells everybody that she knows, and they come back out to hear Jesus, and it says that many believe that day. Now, the funny thing about it is, how many evangelism classes did she have? None. How many discipleship classes had she had? None. You know what? I would argue that at that point, she was probably a much more effective evangelist than the disciples were who had been spending time with Jesus. And sometimes we think, you know what, I have to know the Bible from front to back. I have to know the right words to say. All you need to do is share your story. She went back into town, hey, come and see the man that told me everything I did wrong. They said, oh, cool, right? And so they came out to hear Jesus and said, many believed that day. Share your story. Share what God has done in your life. Has he healed you? Tell people about it. Has he answered your prayer? Tell them about it. Has he forgiven you of your sins? Tell them about that. Has he given you a peace that passes all understanding? Pa tell them about that. Tell them your story. What has God done in your life or in your family's life? Tell them. The Holy Spirit will give you the strength you need and the words to say and the timing. Um, I would tell you that forcing, you know, Evangelism, forced evangelism doesn't work, but <laughs> history would prove otherwise. It does work. But I don't advocate for that. And the reason I say that, in Europe, some of the strongest Christians were made Christian by force. And You know, you look at that, and I don't condone that. I wouldn't say it's right. But it's there, folks. I, God works in ways that I, I don't understand. 
So I'm not advocating that. Don't take somebody and just say, hey, you need to, you know, you, no, we don't want that, right? Be nice. But share Christ with the world around you. I believe God is faithful to give us opportunities to share our faith and to tell people about him. Two of the last promises, I don't know if these are exactly the last two promises, but they're two promises that come right at the end of Jesus' time here on earth. The first one in Matthew says, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to have the musicians come. Um, discipleship, fellowship, prayer, generosity, evangelism. To me, they are the essential elements of a healthy church. And usually healthy things grow, right? Usually. Usually health. And, and, and sometimes in our church culture, I know people mean well, and I'm not saying that some of the things don't work that they're, that they're trying to tell us, but I feel like it's, it's like going to the gym and drinking all the supplements and taking all the supplements. I'm not a supplement guy, okay? Just, just see. I just think if you do the right things, sometimes we want that shortcut. We want the shortcut. But if we, if we invest and focus on discipleship, if we invest and focus on fellowship and prayer, for generous, if we share our faith, you know what? That's health for one thing, but it also, God's church grows. People come to Christ. And, um, you know, nice, nice, con nice congregation gathering here today. It's a full house, right? It's kind of cool. Um, but God can work in any context, right? If we commit those things to Him. This morning, will you with me commit your plans to God? The plans for your life? As a church, we'll talk more about maybe some things we're looking at here in this coming year. Um, we're going to commit those to God. And above all things, have you committed your life to God, right? God has plans for your life. He has a plan and a purpose. Not just for me, not just for certain people. He has a plan and a purpose for each person here. And to discover that and to be part of that, I don't think there's anything more exciting in this world than to sense that God, He has you and He He's giving you that purpose that ignites your heart for Him and for what He's called you to do. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Father, we are gathered here today in Your name as the body of Christ. Lord God, we can all commit our life to You 
we can have that hope of salvation. It begins with making that commitment to you. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and is your Lord and your Savior, and you will be saved. So it's a confession. It's also that decision to walk with God each and every day. There's going to be good days. There's going to be difficult days. There's going to be days that we fail God. But He'll never let go. He'll never let go of us. God, I just I pray over each one here, and I pray over our church, our congregation. God, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to make a difference in this area where you've placed us in Nebraska. Help us to be a light that, that shines brightly, that gives hope to the world around us. Lord God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your precious name. Denise is going to lead us in that song we sang earlier. Lord, you place breath within our lungs. And Lord God, give us, just give us that opportunity to live for you, to glorify you with every breath that we have through our words, through our life, time or energy. Lord, may it all bring you glory and praise. Lord, bless our fellowship that follows here today. And uh, just pray your hand over our congregation. We pray for a couple that had Clarence had surgery this week, and Bob did. And we just uh, pray just for continued healing over their lives. Shauna. healing over their lives. Lord God, go with us this day. Bless our fellowship and our meeting that follows. We give you the thanks and praise. In your name we ask. Amen. Amen.